So we're continuing our sermon series from Paul's letter to the Romans. And last week we were talking about what it means, what it looks like to live by the Spirit or to live in the Spirit. And specifically, I left you with four thoughts. The first thing that I said is, is that to live in the Spirit, we have to try to be humble. And humility means coming to terms with our imperfections and the fact that, that as human beings, we miss the mark a lot, and that's okay. But if we remain humble, then, then we can own our mistakes. The second thing that I said was to live by the Spirit, we have to build intentional time into our lives for prayer and for rest and for reflection. If you're always going, 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 and you never slow down, it's gonna be really hard to tap into the Spirit. The third thing that I said was to live by the Spirit, we have to surround ourselves with the right kinds of people, with people that want what's best for us, with people that will tell us the truth and not just what we wanna hear. Surround yourselves with people that have the same values as you because that will make a big difference. And then finally, to live by the Spirit, we all have to work harder and learn more what it means to love. And we had that amazing passage in Romans 8 last week where Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. And we have to always remember that and live by that and then take that love and spread it to each other. I wanna ask you a question this morning that I asked some of my groups this week. And the question is this, why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? You might answer the question by saying, well, I was born in a Christian family, or I was raised that way, or I think it's what good people do, or, or, or maybe you had an encounter with Jesus at a younger age that changed your heart and you wanted to uh, continue to be a Christian. And so if that's true, then I would say, why are you still a Christian at this stage of life? My answer to the question would sound something like this. I'm a Christian because of the way I was raised. I was raised in a minister's family, a long line of Christian church ministers, but I am still a Christian because of the fact that God reconciled himself to humanity through the person of Jesus Christ. And to that, I would add that I also believe in Jesus' teachings because our world right now needs authentic Christian values more than ever before. Our world is selfish and self-centered. Our world is violent. Our world is angry and hostile and people take it out on each other. And our world is divided. And we always seem to focus on where we disagree and not where we agree. Um, this happened on Wednesday. I had a friend in this church who came to meet with me and he, he got here Wednesday morning about 1130 and I could tell something was wrong. And so I looked at him, I said, are you okay? And he said, you know, I'm not really sure. I just witnessed something that was very disturbing. And a long story short, before he came to the church, he had been over at Percy Warner Park and he was walking that lower loop and he, he said he passed by a guy that was in jeans and a, and, a, and a polo shirt just sitting there at the top of the steps and he walked by 40 or 50 yards and all of a sudden he heard pop, 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 pop gunfire. And he thought, oh, maybe you know, there's a shooter. And, and he kind of ran into the trail. Well, what, what happened, if you read about it in the news, is there was a German shepherd who was off its leash at Percy Warner. And apparently it came up to this guy and he thought he was going to be attacked or mauled. And so he just killed it right there in the middle of the park. And so whatever you think happened, that's just a little bit bizarre, right? 
There's a guy sitting there on a 10.30 in the morning with a gun at Percy Warner Park, and then you have a dead dog. It doesn't seem like those kind of things used to happen in our world, but they happen more often now for some reason. And so that my friend was just kind of taken back by it, and I don't blame him. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal this past week that was titled, From Trust to Bust. And in the article, Gerard Baker argued that this sense of mistrust, where we don't trust each other, is impacting every single aspect of our culture, including government, business, media, education, technology, and faith. But here's the thing. As trust in institutions has declined, so has trust among ordinary people, you and me. We're skeptical of each other. We don't see the good in each other. Um, and it's having a big impact on the social fabric of our culture. But, but should it be surprising that as America has become more secular, as morality has declined, trust has gone down? That shouldn't shock us. You might remember a New Testament scholar named Marcus Borg who passed away a number of years ago and the last book he wrote before his death was a book called Convictions. And in the book, he talked about different kinds of Christians, not, not Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, but different brands of Christians. And he gave five categories. First, he said, you got conservative Christians who believe that the Bible is the literal, infallible, inerrant word of God. Conservative Christians believe that how we live here and now will determine where we spend eternity, that Jesus died to pay for our sins, and, and that the only way to heaven is to believe in Jesus. Conservative Christians are often very interested in moral issues like sexuality and abortion and living the moral life, but often things like drinking and smoking and gambling are concerns of that group. Then he said you got conventional Christians, which represent the Christian middle today. Conventional Christians have often been Christians their entire lives. They're not as committed to biblical inerrancy and doctrine but, but as conservative Christians, but they are certainly very familiar with church language and traditions. Then he said, you got uncertain Christians. And these are the people who are unsure of what to make of certain Christian teachings. They ask questions like, is the Bible the literal word of God and is it inerrant? Was Jesus really born of a virgin? Did he really perform all the miracles that we find in the gospels? Did, did Jesus have to die for our sins? Is Christianity the only way to salvation? But despite wrestling with these questions and sometimes not knowing the answers, uncertain Christians continue to be a part of the church and they live in the tension of their uncertainty. Then he said there's former Christians and these are the people who've left the church for whatever reason. They might consider themselves spiritual but not religious and maybe the version of Christianity that they learned growing up doesn't work for them anymore but you still see them around on Easter and Christmas. And the fifth category is progressive Christians. And generally speaking, progressive Christians reject the concept of biblical inerrancy and the literal interpretation but they still believe that the Bible speaks God's truth. Salvation is primarily about transformation in this world and not just life after death. Jesus is the decisive revelation of God, God incarnate, God in human form. Believing is not as important as transformation and many progressive Christians are found in mainline denominations. Now, here's the reality. Very few people fit neatly into one of those categories. You might. And that's okay, but 
you probably heard some things in different categories that you resonate with. But here's my question this morning. September 17th, 2023, right before the Titans kick off at home, right? Here's my question. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that sound like? I told our youth last Sunday that Romans 12, 9 to 18 is probably the best prescription for Christianity that I have read in the Bible. What Paul is writing to the Roman church is a great way to live your life. So so I'm not really like a verse by verse preacher, but this is one of those passages that you just have to break down. So here it goes. He says, let love be genuine. What Paul is saying is that in life, love has to be honest and sincere. We must not have ulterior motives when we love other people. We don't love in life with the expectation to get something back. We love in life because God is love and because Christ commanded us to love. We need to acknowledge that there's all different kinds of love, right? There's romantic love, which can fade over time. Uh, there's, there's selfish love where you give in hopes to get something back. One person says, I'll do this, but you have to do that. But, but then there's Christian love, or we call it agape love. And I've always said it's unconquerable goodwill towards other people. It's a pure outpouring of the heart towards other people. And this is the kind of love that Paul is encouraging the Roman church to adopt. This is the kind of love that's free from suspicion and free from manipulation and free from grudges. It doesn't have ulterior motives. It's pure, it's authentic. It's not based on fear. This is the love that's patient and kind, not envious, boastful, arrogant, or rude. All the things Paul writes to the Corinthian church, remember that? Doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Paul says, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. There's evil in the world. There are those who kill other people, who seek to hurt other people. Sometimes it's hard to understand exactly where evil originates, but we know it's there. And we need to call it out and confront it. Somebody had to stop Hitler, right? Somebody had to stop Bin Laden before he did another 9-11. Somebody probably needs to stop Vladimir Putin who met with Kim Jong-un this week. What could go wrong there, right? You know, history tells us clearly that there are bad actors that have to be stopped. I mean, imagine the world if D-Day had not happened. But sometimes it's complicated to figure out when we go and stop something and when we don't. And guess what? We all get to choose our focus in life. Um, Paul says, hold fast to what is good. He tells the Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, pleasing, commendable. Think about those things. We continue to underestimate our own ability to control our thinking and our attention. We're often guilty of sitting back and letting life dictate our attitude. And we don't realize that ultimately, we get to decide how to respond to our circumstances. We don't always decide our circumstances, but we decide how to respond to them. Nobody can take that from us. Paul says, love one another in mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You know, love is the glue that holds life together. Somebody once said that all the problems you have in the church and Christianity could be resolved 
because it has to do with rights and privileges and prestige. And so somebody feels neglected and somebody doesn't feel thanked. And so the mark of the truly Christian person has always been humility and servant leadership, doing things that you, you teach. But nobody said humility is easy. Our egos get in the way. We let our agendas get in the way. We let past grudges get in the way. And sometimes we think that if we're humble, we'll get trampled. And sometimes that's true. I think humility seems to be at odds with our achievement-oriented meritocracy where we feel like we gotta keep climbing, we gotta keep attaining. How do you have humility and balance it with success? But we're called to do good deeds, even if they're not recognized, even if we're not thanked, even if they're not noticed. Paul says, do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Here's a question for you. Have you ever noticed, and I mean this lovingly, have you ever noticed how many boring Christians there are in the world? Um, there's just a lot of boring Christians in the world. And, and, and here's the thing, if, if we believe in the good news, the gospel, and we're on fire for Christ, we shouldn't be boring. Um, don't lag in zeal. We had a visitor here last Sunday who was a friend of mine, and he's, I've known him a long time, but he came with his family. He's walking through the kids' commons, and it was pancakes and pajamas Sunday, and he got back up the steps, and I said, hey, man, it's great to have you. And he goes, this place is like a fun house. I said, yeah, what's wrong with that? Who said you can't have fun at church? Maybe more people come to church if they thought it was fun. Faith and fun are not mutually exclusive. So let's make sure we spread that word into our culture, right? But there are so many people that are negative and pessimistic and they suck the life out of everybody. And then we find out that they're Christians and nobody wants to be a part of that. Everybody goes through hard times. But the message of Christianity is the message of hope in the face of struggle. Hope in the face of hardship and despair. And we believe in a God who promises us that the future is gonna be better. It's gonna be brighter. Um, and God is still at work. And so the world needs more people with zeal and energy and passion. Paul says, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Um, years ago, when Jay Leno stepped down, remember this from the Tonight Show? I'll never forget this. And they tapped Conan O'Brien to be the next person. And a lot of the young folks, we kind of like Conan. He's pretty funny, but the baby boomers were like, this guy's not funny. And his ratings just tanked. And so he didn't last but like a year. And I remember on the last night that he was on the show, he said, to all you young people out there who are upset or mad, he said, he said don't, don't, don't be mad, don't be cynical. He said, the world does not need more people that are cynical. No, no thing, nothing great has ever been accomplished by cynical people. And how true that is, but how easily we forget. Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints. We can't do everything we do here without your support, without your generosity. But some people tip God, meaning they give less to the church and their faith than they give to the wait, waiter or waitress the night before. Generosity is a hallmark of the Christian life. Sacrificial giving Extend hospitality to strangers. Are we opening our homes? Are we welcoming people? Are we glad when we have new people come? Are we hosting our small groups? And then the last thing that Paul says in Romans 
uh, chapter 12 is this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But notice that key phrase, so far as it depends on you. There are some people in life who, who are always looking for a fight. They're antagonistic, they're passive aggressive, they aren't happy people, don't give it to them. Some people are so miserable in life for whatever reason, so they go around trying to make everybody else miserable. And conflict gets old, and fighting gets old. But some people aren't happy unless there's conflict, and so if it's not there, they just create it. You know, there are situations and people in life that need to be confronted, but not every day. Peace is important. Jesus taught peace, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, forgive, let things go. Our culture needs peacemakers, bridge builders, people who live out their faith in their relationships. Are you a peacemaker? This is the best prescription for the Christian life, and you should read it and reflect upon it and come back to it often. I wanna close with the words of St. Francis who wrote this prayer, so let's close with this prayer. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there's hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. And where there's sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.